1: it's a Podcast, it's a Podcast,
0: it's a Podcast, it's a Podcast, it's a it's to the Rasball Prospect Podcast, powered by Prospects Live. That is a lot of peas to say. I am here with Lance Brozdowski. I am, of course, Ralph Liftschitz. What's going on, Lance? It's been a while since we recorded, man. I feel like it's it's been three weeks or something like that. It I miss- has,
1: yeah. So we we I, I have all my podcasts dated on my on my dashboard here. And the last one I pulled up, I think it was 12-6. So December 6th was the last time we recorded. It is now the 20th, 21st. I think it just turned to the 21st. 21st. So. Man, this is crazy. Yeah, my setup here is hilarious. I'm back in, back out of, out of Chicago in Connecticut now, um, and I'm in my sister's basement. And my mic is currently being held up by a cup because I do not bring my uh, mic stand with me. So I don't know if you can see this, but it is literally in a cup. I can, and I don't have my pop filter. So you're going to get a lot of my p sounds, really nice and in your ear. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Awesome. i for this.
0: <laughs> I gave about seven of those p sounds in the intro. so yeah. don't no, worry you're about fine. it. You're our, fine. our quota, our quota has been met, Lance. No big deal. So. Um, you've been all over town, all over the country. Uh, yeah, you were at the Winter lot. Meetings. I, I don't realize... think we've really even dug into this a little bit. No, so,
1: we could definitely talk this, yeah.
0: Yeah, why don't, why don't you talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you caught at the Winter Meetings, maybe some prospect-related stuff. I know you caught a lot yeah, of Toronto sure. Blue Jays stuff, etc. So, fill me in, man. Fill in the listeners on what you've been doing.
1: Yeah, man. So, Vegas was a good time, I would say. It's a very weird place down there. I've never been there before. That was also the furthest west I've ever been in my entire life, which is kind of odd to say. I've been south and kind of around the, the northeast and stuff, but i never been out west. So uh, that was the first time in Vegas. It's a weird place. i might go back with, I guess, intentions of either sports betting or clubbing, but otherwise I don't really see why anyone would want to go there. Um, but yeah, baseball side, it was great. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of weed there. Uh, <laughs> I, was, no, I was like, yeah, I like everywhere. that. It's the first time I've been somewhere, it was like just there out there. You know what I mean? And I was like, wow, oh, this feels like college. So many. Of them. <laughs> it's like a big college town, <laughs> but no, it was great. I mean, I had, I had a credential side so access to all of the manager press conferences specifically. And, um, Uh, I did a lot of coverage on that, was shooting a lot of video, chopping that up and shooting it out, and wrote two small stories, one for Prospects Live and one for just my own purposes for a clip, Um, and they were fun, man. It was cool to get some interaction with guys like Don Mattingly and Gabe Kapler and Charlie Montoyo and stuff, and and it was fun, man. A lot of prospect talk came up, especially on some of the lower teams, which I think anyone following a team that maybe isn't in the running for this coming year is probably encouraged by everybody from Joe Adele with Brad Ausmus to uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., obviously, with Charlie Montoyo. Um, interesting information, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I shot on Twitter. I'm sure if anyone circled back, um, you could, you could kind of comb through that. Uh, Joe Adele praised by Ausmus and the first time he saw him down in Tempe compared him to Otani Miguel Cabrera, which was kind of cool. Um, that is, I'm sure, an endorsement for anyone who's a Los Angeles Angels fan <laughs> of any kind. Uh, obviously, just on the pop of the bat sound, I think he was going off of more aesthetic than actual statistic. Anything, obviously, sure. if yeah. Joe Adele is in any former life show, Tanya and Miguel Cabrera, that is an absolute win for the Los Angeles Angels. But, yeah, Vlegger <laughs> Jr. Was, some cool, was a cool one just because he was one of those things where the press conference started and then every question just in succession seemed to be about him. You know, one person asks, yeah. you know, where do you seem fit in the lineup? And he goes, you know, if he's, uh, if he's what he's supposed to be, it's going to be top three. And then someone else asks, well, you know, like, what do you teach a guy like that? And then it just flowed for like the next 10 minutes. So he was heavily talked about, you know, um, some of the younger guys on the Royals team were even talked about um, guys. I mean, like uh, Alberto Montesi, obviously, and um, Merrifield and stuff, obviously on the prospect side there. But, yeah, Jared Kelnick with the Mariners. I talked to Scott Servais actually, about him. They both grew up, I think, in Wisconsin, actually, which I didn't know, which I thought was kind of cool. They, had, uh-huh. so they have that connection, and um, he did confirm that they had him really high on the draft board, and they thought he was, they were going to fall to him, I think, at 14-ish when they took Logan Gilbert, but ended up going Kalanick. Um, obviously, couldn't go Kalanick, excuse me, because of the Mets taking him, and, yep. you know, full circle coming back to uh, the Mariners. So, really good time. Met a lot of people. Connected with a lot of people. Former guests of the show, John Eschelman I met a lot, lot of... Uh, um athletic writers as well and it was just a lot of fun man It was a lot of fun and obviously wasn't too prospect-based but i think that i, I did talk a lot to a lot of people about the prospects you know because that's i think the, the forte i think a lot of us have especially on the padres sure. side ran and some padre writers was talking about padres prospects and a lot of hope around that team obviously built on that end so it was a great time man it was a lot of fun being out at the winter meetings and i definitely like going there every year san diego next year might have to make a little prospects live trip out there, get everybody out there, have some fun, <laughs> no yeah. casinos, but, uh,
0: beaches. I'll take beaches, beaches in yeah. warm weather. Yeah. I have, I have no issue with that. Now you also caught the rule five draft, which is kind of an interesting, yeah. I think a uh, little, uh, wrinkle in, in sort of our subworld with prospects mm-hmm. and it kind of intersects with the major leagues a little bit because there's sort of different levels of the rule five draft as well. Though I know the major league one is the one that gets the most pubs. So, you were there. You were present. It's it's kind of it's a weird, it, thing. it's funny. So why don't you describe? <laughs> that? I don't want I don't want to give give away here.
1: So anyone who's ever been on the meetings, it's four days or five days if you want to count Sunday. Most people come in Sunday. Some people get in early, but most people come in Sunday. Preliminary meetings that night, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays like hit them. Like most, like I'm sure Driveline shot out their schedule. You know that was like. Like, they're, they're 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. pretty much every day. And they had some meetings at, like, 10, I saw, on their schedule and stuff. Just insane. It's just – it's hit the ground run for all these teams. And then Wednesday night is the big night that everybody kind of takes a load off. And then Thursday morning, 9 a.m., is the Rule 5 draft. And I guess some people lumber, lumber over – I was that was actually the initial thing I was really excited about getting to because I'd never been to it before. I, I couldn't get into it last year in Orlando because I didn't have a credential. But – it was it was really unsatisfying. I'm just gonna say, and I think that the way to tell this and confirm it is if you look at the the preeminent reporter of the Rule Five Draft, J.J. Cooper from Baseball America. You look at his Twitter timeline. He shoots off the first like nine, ten picks. And then it just gets overloaded because imagine, like, a graduation, Ralph, like college graduation where you're just reading off names. That's literally what the Rule 5 draft is. You have <laughs> no time to react to anything. So if you get tipped off to, like, those first couple of picks like Richie Martin and stuff, you know those, and you're able to kind of set up a good tweet on it or set up a piece of content and connect it to the pick. Timely, perfect, get some clicks. But all the other ones you do not know, I haven't heard a 90% of the names. Some of the names, too, like, we saw these teams, Ralph, and I still wasn't, like – conceptualizing who the player was you know Trenton Thunder (laughs) Yankees got purged a lot of those guys were on the Trenton Thunder when we saw them I'm assuming in New Hampshire when we saw Vlad and Bichette for the first time earlier this year yeah I saw him a few times yeah and like I didn't recognize any of those names and it's it was you know it was a little disappointing just because it's so quick it's fun it's one of those weird inside baseball things that I think a lot of really deep minor league fans like you follow you try to pick up Jody, most of the time might even be the guys who aren't picked in the rule five draft. I'm talking about Max Muncy and some of these other guys, obviously, and G- and stuff, but you know, those other ones, Muncy really interesting that he isn't picked. So it might even be fun to go yeah. back and look through, uh, look through some of the old stuff and see kind of what's going on in that respect. <laughs> what names are on the current list, you know, that weren't taken that might end up being prospects or might end up taking over fantasy league, so to speak. So, but it was a little disappointing, I have to say. So, but I guess it is what it is. Nothing can be, not everything can be perfect. You know, Vegas has to disappoint at some point. If it's the rule five, okay, so (laughs) be it.
0: (laughs) Well, I just think it's kind of funny because it's one of these things that I I felt all of a sudden got a lot more press this year than it had in previous seasons. And I, and I thought it was building some momentum last year, but in some ways I've always felt like it was much ado about nothing. And in a lot of ways you, you kind of, confirm some of my uh, previous biases so it is, yeah. thank you thank you for making <laughs> me feel as if i had some intuition when it comes to the rule five draft but uh you know i, I wanted to dig into a few things here there's been a big signing uh, as you're recording this i don't know if it's official official yet but pretty close to done daniel murphy is going to the colorado rockies in truly uh, uh colorado rocky fashion they've gone out and signed a veteran that's now, I guess, left the future of a few of their prospects, particularly a couple of middle infielders. Potentially, I guess their futures are a bit murky. I guess the question I pose to you, Lance, is: Do you think that the Rockies signed uh, Daniel Murphy or are going to sign Daniel Murphy with the intention of him playing a, a, a predominant role at second base, or do you really feel that he's probably going to be their first baseman? And this, uh, and I think this is actually, I'm, I'm kind of leading into what my, my, my. Opinion is, but um, I think it's the end of, uh, of Ryan McMahon. So, do you think he's going to get some second base time? I mean, do you think it's going to block Hampson from getting some time there potentially? Is it going to be a mix? I mean, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think pre pod we were talking a little bit about that this probably weighs heavier on the second base situation, and we'll maybe get into this on the second wrinkle of it in, in a bit. But we'll we'll preserve that for a sec. But we'll just talk about the fact that I. I seems to be that he's going to be predominantly at first base I can't imagine the defensive statistics at second were too great any of the last you know recent whatevers so um I I don't know is it the end of Ryan McMahon man I, I feel like it can't be it can't be you can't give up on this guy but at the same time it's like now you have four people to play the right side of the infield right between everybody Desmond Ryan McMahon, Daniel Murphy, Garrett Hampson, Brendan Rogers are, are the guys that we're all thinking of, right? Like, it seems really, really odd to me that you have now all this influx of talent on the right side of the infield. Maybe, like, they they go Murphy at first and they like McMahon more than Hampson and Rogers, maybe? And they bring him over to second? Because I know they kind of did that last year. What are your thoughts on this? I, I'm a little confused as to how there's so much talent there on the right side now. They don't have anything. They have no idea what to do with it, right? It's weird.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of a logjam. I'm I'm assuming that Desmond's going to move into the outfield. They're going to have Blackman, Desmond, and Dahl. That leaves something to be desired, uh, you know, in, in terms of defensively. Uh, Ramil Tapia is still in this organization. I don't think Tapia is really ever going to get a shot. I'd like to see Tapia moved. I'd like to see McMahon move because maybe McMahon carves out a role at second base, but it seems like with Arenado and, and Story, who's not bad at short, obviously— you're pretty strong on the left side of your infield. But on the right side of your infield, I mean, yeah, you're going to have, you know, no, knees, no knees McMurphy and then a first baseman, essentially, in Ryan McMahon. Now I haven't seen a ton of him at second. But just from my looks at him at third, I'm going to imagine he's not covering a ton of ground. But the arm is probably pretty good on double plays. But I can't imagine he's great out of the – the pivot and sort of the, some of those first few, you know, quick stutter steps that you need to make in that position to really handle a lot of ground and play the position well. I, I just don't see that. I don't see McMahon being sort of quick footed and agile like that, but potentially I'm wrong. I don't know what he's working on in the offseason. Maybe he come back a different Ryan McMahon. But I, I, I think it means that Hampson's role is probably gonna be a utility role. I think he sees some second base. I think they are gonna probably play some games with Murphy at second, unfortunately. Hopefully. Hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully this is his first base all the way, all the way. Hampson gets his run. Um and you know, maybe McMahon gets some opportunities as well, depending upon where they move Hampson throughout the infield and the outfield, because he can play a whole bunch of different positions. I don't know how much this hurts Rogers this year because I think he was a guy that needed a full year at AAA. There's still a lot with his approach that that, you know, is left to be desired. I mean, he he's not somebody that's Super patient. He doesn't walk a lot, doesn't strike out a lot, and he's got excellent bat to ball skills. I think you'd agree, agree that it's almost that's probably his carrying tool, is sort of the, the natural, uncanny ability to, to, to hit. And he's got some power when he, when he gets to it. I thought he made some nice tweaks at Hartford. I thought there were some improvements in the beginning of the year, year over year. I think, you know, we talked about that extensively at the time. He sort of, you know, plateaued. After the injuries, went up to Triple A. Kind of wasn't the same. Got injured again, so he had he had a bit of a a disjointed second half. So I don't want to totally hold that against him. I think this is a big year for Rodgers, but I I wasn't expecting Rodgers to be a guy that was going to be up in the first half of the season. I thought he was probably going to spend a majority of the season in Albuquerque and potentially see some time in September if he hits enough to earn a cup of coffee. The only other scenario I could see him up and and playing a role is if you know they're they're just decimated by injuries. Arenado's hurt Story's hurt. And he could play some third bases, some shortstop and mix in with Hampson, maybe some of the other guys, but you know, until they sign another veteran to play in the infield, um, I don't think all hope is lost, but I think that McMahon for me is just getting the squeeze. I, I think he's a guy that can succeed anywhere. I think we saw the approach changes um, in 2017. He's still got that natural pop. I like the swing there's some other guys coming up. I just, I wonder if McMahon's a guy that they can move on from and trade if they're not going to play him at second base, because it seems like he's certainly going to yeah. get squeezed out one way or the other.
1: Yeah. I mean, the one of two things here for me I'll comment with one is that, yeah, I, I remember actually one of the more recent columns I wrote, I'm writing for Aswell too much recently, but I did write extensively about Ryan McMahon. And the simple fact that at the age of whatever he is, 24, that the adjustments I think he needs to make are, are completely feasible for him to make. And he's not that fleet of foot, to confirm your other fact. Looking at has sprint speed leaderboards right now, he's 25.9 feet per second, which is about a tick below average. So... Yeah, I mean, even for it's probably more average for first baseman, but he moved that over to second base, and the average second baseman sprint speed is like is well above average. So he's about two ticks, two feet per second below. So he's slow. He's not quick, and maybe there's a difference between sprint speed like this and agility. But I can't imagine that he's playing second base too fluidly, even though and he's he, currently at the top of the depth chart on MLB.com. So that's weird, right? <laughs> I just yeah. don't really know.
0: I don't know and he wasn't do. an elite. He wasn't an elite defensive third baseman. He was there. He just had a no, solid no. arm. So I think that part translates, but like I said, I just don't know how quick it'll be out of the pivots because you don't have to be the fastest guy, um, to handle the position well and actually cover some ground, just more about that sort of lateral movement. And you can, you know, not necessarily be a fast runner and still be pretty quick in terms of your reactions and your first step. A lot of that's natural, you know? So, um, I just, it's a weird, it's a weird log jam. And, and I, I think it's sort of cliche at this point to say that the Rockies hate prospects, I wonder if some of these guys aren't as good (laughs) as we hope they are because they play in such hitting friendly environments throughout the minor leagues. So their, their stats are cushioned a little bit. So, you know, when we're not getting looks on everybody, we, we tend to fall in love with the numbers and say, Hey, not everybody's doing this. So why is this guy so much better when maybe it's, you know, it just plays throughout their system. And, and it's, it's pretty, you know, predominant regardless of where they are Hartford being the only one that I guess is sort of Slightly plus or you know neutral plus. I mean, it's it's not even considered mm-hmm. a pitchers park. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder if maybe there's a, a little bit of uh, a mirage with these Rockies hitting prospects, and maybe maybe it's the opposite with the pitchers because they've seen a lot of pitchers come up through their system recently and be pretty successful, regardless of obviously the the incredibly difficult assignment of pitching in Coors for your home park, but. You know, we've seen some good years from, you know, um, you know, her Marquez and I know John Gray had a rough year, but he's, he's been up and down. Um, Kyle Freeland, you know, continues to sort of defy gravity for whatever reason. I don't know when he's going to come back down to earth, but, um, I don't know, maybe we should give the Rockies some credit for the pitchers and maybe not so much for the hitters. So they are a playoff team. I don't think Daniel Murphy hurts him. Yeah. He might actually help them a little bit. So, you know, taking a real life standpoint on it, it, it's not bad. and I think you had mentioned that you think the signing of Murphy kind of going in the same vein might potentially lead mm-hmm. to them being a player with the pieces they have with these prospects. They're not calling up for JT Real Muto. What are your what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I've always had them in the back of my head. I don't know if I got tipped off to buy somebody. Like, I don't know if I saw it on Twitter and was like, "Ooh, I like that fit. But. I know they have Tony Walters. Tony Walters has is, is not been a good catcher for the last two years as an aggregate player. I know he's a good framer, but I, I have to imagine that at some point you have to look at the, the totality of a player before you just look at the fact that he's framing pitches well. If, there's a, if you have an average to below average framer, but he's producing plus offensively, I'd probably rather take that guy. Like, I, I think there's a lot of wrinkles with it. I get that they could continually say that Walters is a good catcher because, sure, if he's a good framer, you could technically say defensively he's probably an okay catcher, but he's a poor player based on and based on a lot of evaluation statistics. So, with that said, if this team is in the window where they have Aaron Otto gone after next year and all these other things happening, it's like this is their time to win. They make a lot of logical sense. Ramunto is not saying in the NL East. They have the prospect here. I think they could get it done in Brendan Rodgers. I think Brendan Rodgers gets them to the table with Miami because Miami does not have a lot of mi- middle infield depth. I don't know what the peripheral pieces of the package would be, but based on a lot of the rumors, I think you could get it done with something like a Brendan Rodgers, even if you want to toss in like a Ryan McCann now. Like, what, what if that's another piece so you can move? Go that, Ryan McCann, mm-hmm. and like uh, back in, like Henry used to know. Jordan Humphreys. Know? Does that get you real move to? Jordan <laughs> Humphreys, something like that, you know? Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. I don't know if, if I'm the Marlins, if I'm – 100 percent thrilled with that return simply because I I don't know if I'm in love with Brendan Rogers personally as a player I, I think that I've always been a little weirder on him I think that I I wish I was a little more bearish from the start because I think that we might be getting a little prospect fatigue with him just because there's really no impact tools we know he's probably an everyday uh-huh. regular I've always thought he's been a second baseman over a shortstop I don't yeah. know how he's gonna play third if he's gonna play third well so it's like all right he ends up at second base but I think that this is a weird player that could get it done it really depends on how the Marlins value a guy like Brendan Rogers and whether they need like rogers welker and nevin which would probably be too much from the rockies perspective but it makes a lot of sense for me to then go after ramuto it it lines up really well structurally they could have ramuto catch like 120 130 maybe play somewhere else in the field i don't know if they want to do they probably want to keep him behind the play but then you have walters as your backup who i think is a completely viable backup and then you just do whatever you want with triple a catcher tom murphy sat there for years but I think that that's a weird (laughs) suitor for them. And and going back to one more thing, I don't know if you have any comments on that, but I do want to ask one thing. Speaking of like the pitcher development, do you think that there's any chance that because the Rockies' pitchers have been such a focal point for the last three, four years, that they've focused on the development of their pitchers and maybe pushed aside the development of their hitters because they've gotten a little jaded with the stats from a player development perspective?
0: I don't know. because a weird thought, right? Well, because they still have a decent amount of homegrown guys that are in the organization that have come up and kind of been their stars. I mean, whether it's Arenado, Charlie Blackman. Um, true, true. You know, I guess Carlos Gomez really wasn't like a homegrown guy, but he kind of was. I mean, they got him so early in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously he was an A's guy, but... But then you uh, look at a lot of the others. But like, then he got stories. Like that Rodgers, off. Yeah, I think it's just story, a matter yeah, of... Yeah, story too. Of, okay, okay. maybe. I'm I think it's this. just the guys yeah. that didn't break through were Ramil Tapia... We haven't seen McMahon break through, yep. and David Dahl has been injured. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, David Dahl has gotten an opportunity because yep. David Dahl has been good. So maybe it's one of these things where it, they they trust they trust the right guys, and we're just like I, I just come back to maybe we're overrating some of these guys. Um, yeah, I, I wonder if Rogers McMahon and a couple other guys they have the prospects to get it untappy. I mean, they could make some moves and and really throw four four potential major leaguers because I think they have a lot of guys that maybe we maybe we think they're better than they are. Um, but I still think that Tapia, McMahon, Rogers, they're all guys that probably should have everyday roles at some point in their career and they're not all that far from contributing to a team that doesn't have a lot of depth. So maybe Miami would take that trade because they'd be able to add four four pieces. And it wouldn't take away too much from the farm system because McMahon, Tapia some of these guys have already graduated. Mm-hmm. You're really only trading away Rogers, who I mean, I, I, I was starting. Right now, right? Yeah, like, I <laughs> starting. I was starting to dull on him right now. I mean, I think I'm. Um, you know, he's higher than Tyler Nevin, but you know, Tyler Nevin is is creeping closer and closer, and probably the same thing with yeah. Culker. If you're gonna look at, it, I mean, all these guys have hit. They've all had you know tremendous numbers, and. You know, I, I think there's some less some less troublesome signs in some of their profiles, particularly Nevin, who doesn't sell out for power and kind of just has it naturally. I'm I'm dying to see him in Hartford this year. I'll probably see some Welker as well. Me too, you know, yeah. they, they drafted guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, they drafted guys like uh, you know Taryn Vavra, who's a, a second baseman, Nico uh, Nico Ducoletti. So they have they have some some bats that they added in the draft this year. They've drafted pretty well. They got a lot of bullpen arms. I don't think it would kill the system. I mean, they could actually trade away two or three of these, uh, you know, two of these guys like Tapia, McMahon, Rogers, one guy from the system, and maybe somebody from the back end, and it's a pretty solid package, actually.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I I get that the the crux here is that they want, like, a major league outfielder with the years of control. So the most logical, and I think this is, like, just tongue-in-cheek, but it, the most logical thing here is that it's, it's Alex Verdugo and Will Smith for – For real Muto. I really think that's the deal that is just the most present from LA. You know, they have Kiba Ruiz, they don't need two catchers, and they don't really have need for Verdugo right now, I don't think. I mean, I think they have other pieces they can push into that outfield and they're a win now team. It's like how the Dodgers are built, it makes sense to go there. But if that doesn't happen, you look at other mystery teams and other players, I think the Rockies line up real well. If the if the if the Marlins can get over the fact that they're not getting a six year or excuse me, like a four years of control major league outfielder presently. Which I mean, maybe you can get that out of Ryan Meltapia. Like he's not going to be, he's not going to be a two-five war guy. He's probably going to end up being like a one-five, two-war guy. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's too much of a. Redundant they're playing Lewis Brinson, like Maneras Magn- Sierra. Yeah, they're playing Lewis Brinson too. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do you have a tendency on where you where you see Real Muto going and what the return might be in terms of prospects?
0: You know, at this point, I have no idea. I mean, it seems like it was it was going to be the Astros. You know, it seemed like they were hanging around for a while. We heard the Braves had a deal that was potentially going to get done. It seemed, you know, funny to be interdivision, but I, you know, I wouldn't put anything past the Marlins. Um, I think L.A. is probably the team that's creeping around in the background. Sorry to burp there. That's disgusting. Sorry, everybody on there. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I I think L.A. is probably the team that has the ability to get it done, and it makes the most sense because they're not going to sign Grandal and or re-sign Grandal. And they have Austin Barnes as a backup. They've got Keybert Ruiz, uh, who's in the organization, and a few other guys. Um, I guess they could make a deal with Will Smith and Verdugo, who would sort of st- sturdy up and give them some stability in that outfield with a lot of volatility with some of the prospects that they do have, guys like Monty Harrison, you know, um, and obviously guys like Lewis Brinson. So I think Verdugo would be a steady influence because he's a high floor. He's really solid defensively. Um, give them a bunch of really solid athletes and, and solid defensive players and a guy with a, a good hit tool that, you know, maybe isn't going to put up, you know, insane numbers. The power is going to be dealt a little bit, but, you know, maybe he can give them sort of that steady influence that they had with Christian Yellick, Um, though I don't expect Alex Verdugo to ever win an MVP award.
1: No, I agree with that for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know how much we have on Real Muto left in terms of talk, but those two seems like logical teams. I think that the Rogers are a fun a fun little player here. So, How do you make a
2: radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K, unreasonably good. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply to stop, opt stop, stop. out.
1: Let's jump into another topic here, Ralph. I know we have a couple of other things we want to hit on this show, one of them being a, a dynasty league of sorts, a draft that I believe you've dug into on the prospect side of things. Why don't you give us a little rundown on this and maybe shoot out some of the picks you sure. find interesting, and then we'll kick it back to me, and I'll I'll have some thoughts
0: on, uh, on what's going on here. All right, so this draft started, I think, October 1st, no, November 1st, November 1st. Uh, yeah, November 1st. So, this draft started uh, <laughs> November 1st, and yeah, I think it was like right after the World Series. So, November 1st, and it's a 30 uh, team dynasty startup. It's, um, you know, uh, roto, uh, uh, roto, so it's five by five, and it's a salary cap 120 million in terms of, you know, what you have available. So, the way the salary cap structure, the salaries work, is it's real life salary. So, it's whatever a player has. If the guy's a free agent, you get like potentially the first six years of his salary up to, um, and there's some different things that you can play around with, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you also have contracts that when a player uh, exceeds 150 at-bats as, as a hitter or 50 uh, uh, innings pitched as a pitcher, his con- he automatically gets a contract. And for the first three years, it's 500,000, 500,000, 500,000, and then in year uh, four, it's a million year five. It's three million year six. It's five million, and then they go into free agency. And there's some a uh, couple other things that you can do it there. There's some tags, free agent uh, franchise tags where you can sort of add some years. There's a restricted tag where you can go out into sort of the open market and you get compensation with picks. So you can match match the salary um, or the best offer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you kind of get get where I'm going with this, so it's very similar to sort of. Um, you know, real MLB in terms of like, if it had a salary cap. So you have a limited amount of resources versus other teams. So what you want to do, in my opinion, with a startup like this, is you want to give yourself as much flexibility as possible to sign free agents, make trades, sign international free agents, because um, what happens is there's a lot of players that become available in the middle of the season after like the J two period. And all these guys are available to be signed during the all-star break. So all these guys that sign all the guys that maybe missed the cutoff, like, you know, Victor Victor, who didn't sign in time, uh, or, uh, Kikuchi, some of those guys. So I might be able to bid on some of these guys. So what, what I've sort of focused on doing, uh, with this draft is I've decided to do almost entirely prospects and guys that are in early parts of their career with, with contracts. I think I'm in the 32nd round, out of 50 picks, and I think I have three million dollars in the books, three point five million dollars in the books right now for next for 2019. Um, and I have like 32 players because I traded up a couple of times. So I had sort of two basic strategies. One was to draft as many prospects as possible because I felt that regardless of what the, the, the value was in the early rounds, I would be going after the guys that I felt were sort of the premium talents that I wanted to target. And then from there, I would start to build value as guys were chasing bad contracts later in the draft and, and sort of backfilling and locking themselves into numbers for longer years, um, signing players that maybe have a shorter window in terms of value for only two or three years. Um, so my my goal was to sort of be able to come out of the draft with a ton of talent, a ton of prospect capital, which are really trading chips. And a lot of guys, once I got into like round 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, now I'm buying prospects that I know about other people don't know about that, that, you know, I feel like are ascending values in a year. This guy's going to be worth more than he's worth now. And what happens is teams, decide to, you know, let's say 18 teams come out of the draft, 20 teams come out of the draft out of 30 that think they have a chance to compete in the next year or two. And halfway through the season, half these teams realize that they can't compete and they start to trade off some of these pieces for prospects that they like, not necessarily the best prospects, but guys that they like because top 100 prospects at this point become such huge commodities that they're almost worth more than veterans because veterans have this anchor of a bigger salary and a bigger contract. So now I my plan is I'm going to be sitting pretty where coming out of the draft for the six-week free agency, I can go after Victor Victor. I can go after Kikuchi. I can add some of these players because I have like $115 million in cap left. So I can just sign these guys because the way you sign these free agents is it's a one-time bonus then they go into your system mm-hmm. and they have that same sort of uh, ascending salary structure that I mentioned earlier on in this rant. So um, uh, my goal is to grab a bunch of those guys. And then what I'll have is I'll have salary available for next year that I can then make trades and take on like a $20 million player. I can take on a gold trade, somebody like that, that somebody wants to deal. And all of a sudden in a 30 team league, the rosters are shorter. So I only need so many pieces and I'll have, a lot of the guys, some of the picks that I've made here, if you want to maybe jump on a couple of guys that you wanted to ask me about, but you know, I've mostly gone with, you know, young, young players, guys that are on the cusp. And then I've gone with some, some really young prospects as well that I think have very high upside. So, you know, my first guy had the 20th pick in the draft. I went and I grabbed Fernando Tatis Jr. I think he's probably going to be able to help me in the next couple of years. I grabbed Alberto Mondesi Jr., Uh, I think with a 60th or 50th pick. So, you know, back in the second round, um, I grabbed Nolan Gorman really early because I I saw that some of these first-year player draft guys were probably going to go quick. Um, Eddie Rosario was hanging there, and he's still on a a, a contract under control for a couple of years. I like Rosario, Sororca, Mize, India, Bryce Wilson, Christian Robinson, Xavier Edwards, Cole Wynn, George Valera, um, Jordan Adams, Jamai Jones, D.L. Uh, Hall, Debbie Garcia, Ryan McMahon, Tyler Freeman, Bubba Thompson, uh, William Contreras, Corbin Martin, Hudson Potts, Taylor Hearn, Alec Thomas, Eric Pardino, Brian Abreu, Winsell Perez, Jonathan Ornialis, or- 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 uh, Trent DeVoe, Austin Listy, and Sam Hentigy. So you'll see there that I think I probably had more of a pitching slant than I usually would in a draft. And the reason is pitching mm-hmm. is far more scarce and far more important in a 30 team league like this, that if you have a deep staff and just a starting lineup, you, you need maybe one, two bench hitters, uh, and a couple of guys in your minors that can come up, and maybe help you at some point, but you don't need a ton of hitters. Cause some of those guys pop up in the waiver. wire, the max Muncie's those types that maybe aren't owned, you'd be surprised. And the, the, the starting pitching depth really helps you because you're able to get totals and, and sort of it's quality starts over wins. So that's big. I, you know, that's why I targeted a lot of the arms that I did. And I went very heavy on the first year player draft slant because I felt that a lot of those guys were a little bit undervalued in comparison to some other prospects that were going really, really high. That, I, you know, maybe some of the reports these guys were reading, I felt were maybe a year behind where some of these guys were and you know, some, some guys that were, you know, had some warts that were, that were going pretty high. So mm-hmm. I was happy to grab who I did. I grabbed some of my guys. Um, it's, it's a bold strategy, but I, I always feel that I go in, and I don't have too many guys here that I feel are going to lose value over the next two years.
1: No, I a hundred percent agree with that. I think you, your structure here is, is almost a little bit deliberate too. Cause you start, f- Tatis, Modesty, Gorman, I think that there's a lot of upside there, especially in Tatis and Gorman. And then what you get, and you're mentioning the pitching side of things, you have very stable pitching in Mike Soroka, Casey Mize, Bryce Wilson here, and like teams like your middle. And then I know we're all big fans of Cole Wynn at Prospects Live, so that's a great pick there. And then I actually think the most interesting band of players here is your, your – I don't know, this is like 6th-ish round through maybe 10th or 12th round where you go Christian Robinson, Xavier Edwards, we'll skip over Cole Wynn, George Valera, Jordan Adams, Jermai Jones. That is a really, really dense crop of players that I think there's a really good chance you hit on like one or two of those guys that hop up and become Gorman-esque, become Mike Sororka esque where they're that highly valued <laughs> in leagues. And I, I'm interested in, one, your logic on Christian Robinson over Xavier Edwards, and then maybe, two, you know, did you see – Uh, a little bit of floor with Jemai Jones there? Because I feel like he's not really as big as an upside as he bounced. Did you you, Basically, okay, first question, Christian Robinson or Zeta Edwards, and then number two, Valera and Adams are huge upside. Did you feel like you wanted to buffer that out with Jones and a little more floor?
0: Yeah, so I'll also mention that I traded up and traded back um, to get India. So I traded up to India uh, in my, so I go back-to-back picks with them. Uh, because I knew a report was coming out in our site about India after JP saw him in, uh, instructs. (laughs) So I wanted to make sure I jumped on it before somebody else did. So I I actually, I've had to play that Christian Robinson, uh, over Xavier Edwards was a little bit delivered. So that was, uh, and then, and then, um, Jordan Adams and Jamai Jones were skipping two rounds because I had traded back and then swap picks. So, um, they were sort of sandwiched together as well. Just. Yeah. So just in terms of like, you know what the difference was, it was maybe off by four rounds from the, or three rounds from the pick in front of it. So, um, okay. Edwards was a guy that I felt there was value there. Christian Robinson I grabbed because I knew that somebody that I'm friendly with, because I, I try to, you know, talk trade. They're guys that I play in other leagues with. There's a lot of crabs in the startup league as well. So I probably know about 12 to 13 of the guys in the league. And one of them was talking to me and he always shares too much information And I'll actually talk about this later on. And he told me that, like, you know, I knew how much he liked Christian Robinson. So I'm like, at worst, this guy's going to be easy trade partner for Christian Robinson. So I knew I had some value there. And I knew he would go before my next pick. So I was going to go Edwards. And I said, you know what? I'm going to grab Robinson. Um, And then Edwards. I think I have Robinson at this point, maybe a few spots ahead of Edwards, actually, in my top 100 as well. So he's an ascending value. I I see Christian Robinson. I see potentially a young Eloy Jimenez. So um I wanted the power and then I got some more athleticism. I had a I had a crunch here um especially with, with sort of Edwards. Um I know Valera and, and Robinson I guess were we we're, were both sort of mashers, but you know, Adams, Jones, um, you know, where I where I grabbed I grabbed some serious athletes. And I think he mentioned that. But uh, Jones was hanging around there once again and I felt like he had a pretty good league um there was some value there i think the angels list was coming out once again and uh, i decided to scoop up jones so i like jones i know jp's really sold me on him there's some jp influence in this team uh with cole win and some of these guys um and i think just the fact that i get some great first hand information because we're one of the few sites i think that was able to uh put out some cole win video um so yeah i don't know i'm 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 all i'm all jacked up for uh for this team so far and uh i have about i guess 18 picks left and i still have a ton of like deep prospects they're gonna be able to scoop up so it should be fun
1: yeah talking about specifically some of these deep prospect guys i know brian Abreu is a guy you picked up on that astros list you wrote for prospects live and then Winslow Perez we saw a little bit of um in the midwest league i know a lot of people have been reporting about him as being one of the only guys on that west michigan team that was pretty good and then Devo listy i know yeah. was a big f- guy uh, righty bat a little more of an old school but really good contact profile I know JP was high on him so what's the process in some of these later later guys here between like Brian Abreu and, and Sam Gentis because I know you like Alec Thomas a lot you've talked about him and then I feel like once you get above that you know guys like Bubba Thompson Ryan McKenna obviously one of your boys and stuff a little bit of stability there but then what's the process when you're getting really late on how you're prioritizing guys talk about that a little bit
0: yeah, so I really liked, you know, Alec Thomas and, and Taylor Hearn I felt like I got some value on. He had just been added to the forty man um the day before when I made that pick. So I felt like, you know, there was some potential for him to come up and pitch in, in, in Arlington this year. So I knew that he had some real life value. That's a guy that can jump up quick and I think because of how nasty he is, if he comes out of the pen, he'd come up and be, you know, maybe even not not Josh Hader, but that's sort of a dominant arm out of the pen. He's lefty, nasty stuff, at least has the two very good pitches. There's potential there for him to be a dominant guy and kind of a fun arm to own. This is a, a safe, safe hold, so those guys can sort of play up as well. Pardino is a guy that I felt had a lot of upside. And then when I started to get into like one cell, Ornialis, um DeVoe, Listy. I grabbed Listy because uh, I picked before Jason, and uh, I, I didn't know if Jason Woodell loves Listy, and I figured that I could once again. I, I like to play tricks on people. I'm 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 a bit of a uh, a dick like that. So I decided to I decided <laughs> to, to snatch up Listy on him, and uh, yeah. So I, that's what that's one of the reasons I grabbed him. Um, Sam Hedges is a big lefty man with some good stuff. Yeah, TJ, so it kind of delayed his development a little bit, but he's been excellent since he came back. I love the organization. You know, I trust Braves arms, I trust Astros arms, and I trust Indians arms. So I decided to take a chance on him. Uh, this this mouthy guy once again, uh, my buddy was was telling me he wanted to draft cheese, and I'm like, this is my next pick, dude. You're killing me. So I, I hit up pirate steve down in australia who's also in this league and i said dude i gotta move up to your pick so i can move ahead here but you can't announce the trade until you're on the clock so that way this guy doesn't know that i swooped in stole his pick and then try to and then try to trade up for a pick you know in front of yours <laughs> so he waited we got the deal done and all we did is we switched i had a 20th pick in the round here the seventh we swapped picks there the next round i had the 10th pick in the round and he had the uh like the twenty third. So we swapped those. We just sort of swapped picks real quick. Totally made sense for us. No big deal. He had nobody that he was dying to pick up. Um so I was able to trade up, get hentage because once you get into this like late thirties, I got guys that I really need to draft. Like these are guys that like, okay, I'm almost have it planned out. Like this is rounds, you know, thirty-five to like forty-five. These are the ten guys I wanna grab. This is the five other guys. And when it starts to dig into then, then you have to like go back into your reserve. So, I mean, I have a list of like 250 guys from all, from all of our lists that I wanted to target. And, uh, one last guy I want to talk about before I kick it back to you was, uh, Trent DeVoe. So the reason I took Trent DeVoe is, uh, um, uh, one of our writers, um, you know, is, is very close with a particular Padre scout that that we know and, uh, you know, who shall not be named. And, uh, he saw a lot of Trent DeVoe over the course of uh, the season out in Arizona, and uh, he decided to reach out and really stump for Trent DeVoe and saying, that, you know, this guy, uh, maybe she can be higher on our list because you know, this guy has a lot of projection. Um, he's just not there the way Deshaun Knowles is. who's very polished. He's very filled out. It's the opposite. This guy has a ton of growth to do, but it's there. This guy has skills. This guy has, you know, a lot to believe in. You got to buy this guy. So at this point, I felt like he was another one of these athletic lottery tickets as you start to get a little bit later on. That's great to take a flyer on because now with these 50 team, this 50 player league and it's unlimited minors. So I can keep signing minor leaguers over the next few years, keep adding to this minor leagues. I can hold this guy down there for five years if I need to and let him develop. And that's not a big deal, you know, because it will be 23, whatever. By the time he gets up, and we we've seen how the Angels have been able to develop, you know, some of these young athletic players. I mean, they've done a good job. I mean, they did a good job of transitioning Jemaine Jones to second base this year, position he hadn't played since I think it's junior year of high school. So um, I be- once again, some belief in the organization and the development, because these are the guys that are going to be developing your players for you as a fantasy owner. So I think you got to believe in the organization a little bit, and uh, ultimately, that's that's what I uh, that's what I did.
1: I like it, man. Uh, yeah, I was watching, actually, some Trent DeVos. You were talking about him. Uh, he seems to be one of those cases, and I've read about this before. I think somewhere else someone mentioned him, where you really have to take yourself away from what the stats are and, and listen to that unnamed Padre scout that we're talking about here in terms of that development. Because the kid's a stupid, stupid fast runner. And his swing is just really, really funky at the moment. He's super upright. It's really rigid. It doesn't look natural at all. And it's one of those things where that almost seems like a strong product of his statistics, which in rookie ball were were not really great at all. 35% carry, 199 average with a high BABIP, too. Or more of an average BABIP. So you look at him and you look at the fact that maybe there's some – some universe in which he loosens up his swing and actually gets into his legs a little more and he's not so rigid in his back and he's actually down into his body a little more and he's activating the leg strength which he clearly has if he's able to be like a 70 runner um so he's super interesting in that respect just because i don't feel like guys like this get a ton of respect especially in prospect circles dynasty prospect circles if you're not Coordinating with scouts, and you're not reading reports on guys who you think there may be a projection with. And Devoe sticks out in that respect to me because Deshaun knows he's much more polished, especially with a lot of those other guys, a lot of those other twitchy outfield prospects that the Angels have between Joe yeah. and Adams. Like those guys have the stats, they have the tools, they have all this stuff that pops out. And then you look at Devoe, and he's got really nothing aside from the speed right now, and the stats don't look good, and the swing is funky. But if you believe in him as a prospect, the kid's only 18 years old. It's like guys like that are huge, guys like that are massive, you know. And it's like you look at how quickly a guy like Christian Robinson developed from a guy with a little bit of barrel movement to now where he's almost freaking, that kid's swing is beautiful. I was looking at the prospect live video we have up on Christian Robinson and it's just, it's super, super simple from the right side in terms of what he's doing with his barrel control. And I love it. Um, guys like this, man, it's just, you give DeVoe like two, three years and he's not going to blossom as quickly, but he's not going to lose that speed. Like if he's this much of an athlete and, and the unnamed Padre scout likes him that much. Like he's a he's a really fun guy to put a put a name uh, put a mark on, so to speak. I think is what I was trying to get out there and, and revisit after mm-hmm. some time. Um, I'm not really sure if there's anything else to go through here, Ralph. But uh, who are I don't want to I don't want to toss names out here and spoil any any of the possible listeners from these later picks. But who who are maybe some of the back half after who are some of the guys you're targeting right now as you go back into this draft?
0: Yeah, so uh, a That's couple of guys that I'm looking at right now. There's a- – <laughs> Yeah, so, so a couple guys I'm looking at right now that I have some arms that I'm I'm sort of targeting that I feel I can get some good value on um, a little bit later, and I guess some there's some bats too. Some guys that are sort of forgotten a little bit. One bat is uh, some guys from um, uh, the Rangers list like Anderson Tejada, maybe Chris Cease who hasn't been drafted yet. Will Benson's there, so I can get myself some Gronk with a bat. Um, Daniel Johnson's still available. Uh, <laughs> Dylan Carlson. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's some guys that I'm going to, uh, Derek Fisher's actually still available. Um, but there's some arms I like, like AJ Alexi, uh, who I think would be a good one. Tyler Ivey's another arm that I'm, 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 targeting a little bit. Uh, and then Brandon Bailey. So some of these, some of these Astros arms, so I'm starting to go into organizations, Tim Kate's still out there someday. I might take a chance on, uh, maybe a bounce back guy like Lolo Sanchez, um, Brian Reynolds is around, so there's you know there's some some players, uh, there's some all uh, some other guys a little bit deeper, some J two guys. I'm not going to throw out here on the radio. Don't want to get uh, uh, pounced on and, and and lose some of those names. But it's definitely getting a little bit uh, tougher now, and uh, it's 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 going to be tough sledding for probably the next 18 picks or so. But I think I have enough prospect knowledge and and depth to be able to steal some guys. I'll probably start to grab some of these uh, relief arms that I like that I've been digging in on and and some of the other uh, uh, deep sleepers that I've been able to get in the back end to some of these top 30s that we've been doing over on uh, Prospects Live since, I guess, October now. So uh, we're almost done. we got 22 systems done. We only got a few left, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. So I feel like that's something that's prepared me quite a bit for this. One little piece I'm going to mention uh, I, I want to throw out there. And what I did early on is I sort of approached it as like round six through 12. I didn't care so much about drafting there because of the prospects that I had. So I took those picks and I traded back. And what I did is I I would package them with like my round 40 to like 50 picks. And I was able to turn those round 40 to 50 picks into picks in the late 20s, into the mid 30s and late 30s. Um, I didn't do it as much as I like, only did a couple of times. But I think that's one of the few areas that if I could do it again, I would probably make a few more of those trades, knowing some of the prospects I probably could have gotten a few rounds later. So uh, something that I did, I dabbled in a little bit. I don't think I, uh, I went back to that well quite as much as I probably should have.
1: Yeah, that's no problem at all, man. Um, what do you have on tap for Prospects Live in terms of your top 30s? I know I have the Potters and White Sox, which are two absolutely loaded lists. Um, are you done?
0: I'm done, baby. I am all done. Yeah, I, I don't have any lists left. I did I did six. I did the Red Sox. I did the Rockies. I did the Orioles. I did the Washington Nationals. I did the Reds. And uh, ooh, this is the bastard system that I'm apparently uh, not remembering off the top of my head. Um. <laughs> oh, that's you not good. Rockies? That's not good. I said Rockies. I said Reds. I said Nationals. Right. I said red Sox. A- Astros. I said I said Orioles. And I said Astros, I thought. Did I say six there?
1: Was that six? I think it was six.
0: Can we add? Okay, good. <laughs> I don't know if we can count. <laughs> I don't know if we can. Can we actually I count? That was all of them. <laughs> yeah, that was all of them. So yeah, no, I'm darn the so, things you find out. i on the on, uh, prospect podcast. I'm working on uh prospect list. so Eddie. <laughs> Matt, myself, our fantasy dynasty team, we're working on some lists to help you out in your dynasty leagues. We already have the first year player draft list. I know we're going to update that. we got to move Nico Horner into the top 10, maybe the top five, um, but we're not going to release that yet. Um, we have some top 100s. We're going to have a top probably four or 500 we're going to do again, um, and that's going to be a combination. We've already done our first work in the top 100. That's very much, pretty much done for Eddie, myself, and Matt. Um, we already beat each other up over our picks and I think we went back and kind of beat ourselves up over the things that maybe, uh, the process kind of weeded out and maybe put us in the mat for some of our beliefs. And, you know, I think that's good. Um, so we had a lot of discussion about our lists and I think that we maybe took away at least a few things for each of each other. So what we're going to do is we're going to put together a blended list. We're going to do it by sort of a point system based on the rank going from a hundred, for the top pick, you know, Vlad Guerrero is obviously going to be a, a straight 300 and uh, and then sort of work our way down. And that's how we're going to figure it out. We're going to have a cumulative score uh, between the three of us and how we got to this top 100 number. Um, and then we're going to work our way through the next 50, doing the same thing, next 50, doing the same thing, next 50, next 50, until we get to the 400. So it's going to be a lot of fun because I feel like we're going to work really collaboratively on it. We're going to have a top 100 hitters, we're going to have a top 100 pitchers that we're going to do it the same way. So I think that's really useful for dynasty leagues. If you want to go back and forth, we're going to break it down by position as well. I know we're going to have uh, a, a 2017, uh, excuse me at 2019. I'm like two years behind myself, 2019 list. Uh, it's just, you know, right now players. And we're also uh, going to have a list. The um, that is going to do for just OBP leagues, because that's Eddie's sort of go-to bread and butter is the OBP league. So, a lot of stuff on deck. We're going to have a lot of lists coming out in January. It's going to be kind of our list month, which I think is perfect as everybody really gets ramped up in their leagues and gets going. And uh, hopefully we're going to give you a lot of information and, and sh- sort of guide you on your way to sort of accumulating the right prospects to help you eventually win some uh, a bunch of Dynasty League titles, not just one. But I love bunch. it.
1: I'm digging it, Ralph. That's awesome, man. I'm stoked for it. Uh, prospects Live, as always, at ProspectsLive, ProspectsLive.com. Um, what else we got for the folks, man? Are we gonna are we gonna get out of here? Fifty minute. Hey, mark, let's get out of short here. Ones? Yeah, why like not? Short
0: ones. Short ones. It's the off season and uh, the winter meetings weren't all that exciting. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's been a Rule Five draft kind of an off season.
1: <laughs> that's a, that's a great uh, metaphor right there. I like it, Uh Ralph. For everybody joining us, um, you're at Prospect Jesus. I'm at Lance Braz. Cut out the Dow from the Twitter handle. I haven't talked to people in a while, so I don't even know if they know that. But uh, new new Lance Twitter handle. But anyways, the same old Lance tweets and stuff. So don't worry about it. But yeah, com. you know me and Ralph will, will kick it into gear with these once the minor league season gets going, and Prospects Live is where we'll have a lot of the content. So thanks, as always, for everyone joining the Prospects Live crew and the Raswell Prospect podcast crew. Now over a year, we're over the year anniversary mark, and we're excited to keep this going. Always a fun yeah. doing it with you, Ralph. Um, enjoy the rest of your night, everybody. Take care.